here again with Kyle Stalsus, and you're a teacher here at Faith Builders, and you also run the communications department. So you work a lot with technology. Um, that's actually would have been your first college experience. So right now, we're living through a, a massive shift in technology, and in, in spe specifically like information technology with smartphones, the internet, computers. A lot has changed in the last 20 years. How have Mennonites adjusted, and what's been the effect on us? Now you mentioned that my work is in communications and, and with that I, I work a lot with technology mm -hmm. and it's really changed how we do my work. So producing a newsletter, it starts on the computer. Previously that, that, uh, that would have been a much more tedious and long process and technology has helped to simplify how I go about doing the layout and pulling it all together and, and even submitting the artwork to a printer who uses a digital press. So really revolutionary changes in, in how I go about doing my work. But to the question you ask, the bigger question about how have, how have Mennonites uh, adjusted or adapted to some of the changes, especially the digital revolution, if you're talking about communications and you know smartphones, it's um, how we communicate with each other, it's how, how, we, how we enjoy recreation, uh, and how technology's really kind of permeated our life. Well, I'd have to ask, you know, well, wh which Mennonite do you mean? Um, mm -hmm. Is recognizing that there's there's this great continuum all the way from from the more conservative side, and just by definition, those being the ones who who tend to prefer the tried and the true, the the, the things that have worked in the past, they're going to try to use them again. And then on this continuum to, I guess you'd say, the left or the progressives, the liberals who are more open to change, they they want to get in there and tinker and try new things. And those are the folks who are we're obviously going to be more open to change in technology. So on the right, you've got uh, folks who are, are much more careful or skeptical about the limits of technology. And they might have a phone, say a landline, but it's in a shed outside their house, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And then there's, uh, moving a little bit to the left, there might be people who have a computer but the computer is, is only used for business. It runs the CNC equipment that they have. They can send and receive emails with it, but it's in a shed as well, and it's just outside of their business, but it's a computer now, and it's got internet access, okay? Mm -hmm. Only for business. And you keep on moving all the way across the spectrum to uh, folks who, they're, 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 they're very open to any of the newer platforms that have come out, the, the smartphone revolution, uh, all of this, and they're, they're, they're quicker to adopt that. So it's a little bit hard to speak, you know, just to summarize it all and say this, this is where Mennonites are at because there's a lot of variety. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that variety reflected in the statements these people are making about technology and in the practices that they have. I do think, though, uniformly, and here I'm going to, to step out a little bit of, uh, uh, and make some broad assessments, I do think that, generally speaking, the information age and information technology has uh, has taken the conservative Anabaptist community off guard. Is that because of how quickly it happened? The transition from like the internet kind of taking over mm -hmm. so much of a business world, personal world. Is that mm -hmm. why, or or why weren't we fully prepared? Yeah. Um, well, the, it's it's called the information revolution or the digital revolution, and there's a reason for that. It's mm -hmm. because of how quickly these transitions have happened. Mm -hmm. And when you use the word revolution, you're meaning that these transitions happen in such a way that uh, 
people are overwhelmed. There's a lot of turbulence. There's some chaos involved usually. Um, and I think that describes something, yeah, of, of how uh, information, the information age, the information revolution has impacted both the broader society and, and since we're at least part of that society, a little subgroup in it, it's, it's hit us in the same way as well. But I think it's hit on some soft spots in some ways that mm. uh, ideologically and in our, in our way of making discernment, in our way of applying scripture, in our way of, of putting ourselves and our, our practices under the authority of the word, I think it's caught some weak spots there that we haven't really been prepared for. Because when you have such a big shift mm -hmm. in the world, I mean, th this is massive, yeah. how much it's changed, technology has changed, how we communicate with each other, even mm -hmm. from 20 years ago, Yeah, you know? That's interesting, so it's a kind of almost like, um, like a test of our of our people and, and society as a whole, but definitely mm -hmm. us and our values. And and for people who are interested, say like uh, like Anabaptists tend to be in, in mm -hmm. having a lifestyle that's that's informed by by scripture, that's that's governed by it in a lot of ways, and that's governed by the intentions of Jesus that precede scripture itself. Um, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of question there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty how to make some of those applications yeah. and I think sometimes a gap there. So we have this big adjustment, this big transition in in culture and for us too as Anabaptists. Mm -hmm. But what what have been some of the benefits of digital technology? And then on the flip side, what are some negative impacts as well? Benefits. Um, Oh, there you catch me a little bit flat-footed. I tend to be, I okay. tend to be a, a, a bit of a, a I guess, a, a purist, and you could call me a hmm. luddite, the the guy who, who smashes sewing machines just because they're new and different. <laughs> um, maybe that makes me conservative. I'm not totally sure, but okay. yeah, we can we can come back to that question, and there I'll, I'll be a little bit more general because I, there's just mm -hmm. there's some there's some uncertainty there in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe first talk about some of the liabilities. Are some of the places where this these new ways of communicating and doing work have impacted us in ways that I think both our culture is recognizing, the larger culture is recognizing as possibly having some baggage here we didn't anticipate, yeah, and yeah. then it comes into our subculture too in some ways that that could really be crippling if we weren't aware of them. And the first of those, well, I mentioned the uh, the arena of of work already okay so i'm just gonna i'm gonna dive in there for just a moment just to okay. get one arena i think i see where you're going okay yeah um yeah there's a lot of other places you could talk about how sure. communications and technologies affect us but let's uh, let's think about let's think about work there's this this principle you find in in genesis 2 where man was created and man was created with things to do. He had work to do. He had, he had gardening, okay? Uh, he was going to dress, he was going to keep this, and he, he was to do that even before he had a mate, right? Uh, just getting some, putting some significance on there. Man had meaningful work to do, and God intended for it to be that way. Uh, it was part of the creation intention that man has, has meaningful work. Mm -hmm. So, just establishing there that, that work is significant, work is meaningful, and it ought to be. Um, I think 
one of the significant disruptions or the one place where technology could disrupt that is to break the connection between work and uh, meaning. Yeah. And here's, here's where I'm going with that. Um, and I'll just use an example from, from my work. So again, I, I do communications work mm -hmm. and it's really very abstract. Like I have trouble sometimes explaining what I do. I uh, say I do communications and people, people tend to glaze over really fast. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, it means I take pictures. It means I do layout. It means I work with the web. And when it boils down, sometimes I, I just feel like all I do is just, I just arrange colorful shapes on the screen, okay? And when I get these colorful shapes arranged in the right order, um, the way I find meaning in that is, is that there's this, this gas that, that magically appears from a pipe in the ground. It's burned in the furnace in my home. And you'll catch where I'm going with this. I think it's burned in the furnace at home and uh, it heats the house and it keeps my children warm. And when you think about it that way, it's all really disconnected, okay? Well, yeah. I arrange colorful shapes and gas comes out of the ground and then the children stay warm. And, and it's hard for me to understand that. It's hard for other people to understand that. And I wonder, well, how do my children think about that, okay? Mm -hmm. Daddy goes away every day and we stay warm at home, but there's no connection. And it's very difficult for them and for me to derive meaning from mm. a disconnect like that. So I'm just highlighting here that uh, we tend to gain real satisfaction. We tend to gain meaning out of our work when it's connected to a need, some kind of need mm. specifically for people that we actually care about. And it connects us with them. It connects them with us and, and it makes the work feel meaningful. And technology, just by its nature, is meant to reduce the kind of work that we have to do. And, and, and you can't blame it for that. That's what technology is for. It's, it's here to make our lives easier, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the consequences I'm just highlighting is that it's possible that it, our lives just become disconnected from meaning, okay? It's, you can find ways around that, but I, I would suggest just practically that you find ways of, you know, keeping the, the connection intact. So when your children ask, how do you stay warm? Well, you say, well, daddy cuts the firewood, daddy stacks the firewood, we bring it into the basement, and then you, you help me bring it up from the basement in the, in, in, the, in the winter, and we put it on the wood cart, we bring it over, we burn it in the stove, and you feel the heat, and it's a wonderful thing. So maintain yeah. some practices like that, that keep you yeah. in touch with like meaning. Cause and effect. Yeah. even in a way. Oh, that's so the, important. The process. Uh -huh. well, and, and I've thought about, it's really interesting because you have you know, something really um, obvious like credit card debt. Mm -hmm. People go into the store, they grab some groceries, they swipe a piece of plastic, uh -huh. and you have food. Amazing, isn't it? It, it, it is. <laughs> that is incredible yeah. technology. That is amazing. But where's the connection there? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, people realize, whoa, I spent way more money than I have because they, they lose the sense of the process. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. I wonder. It's, if, it's a lot tougher yeah. to do in a bartering economy where if yeah. you don't have or it. Or cash, even. Yeah. You, know? like, uh -huh. you only have a certain amount of $100 bills, say, and when they're gone, they're gone. But when you're swiping a piece of plastic, there's no real world reality connection, mm -hmm. you know, except maybe a notification on your phone or something. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So yeah. there's, there's one part, okay, the, mm -hmm. the, the connection between meaning and work. Um, the second observation, I think, and this one just 
pervasive, you don't have to be mm -hmm. a Christian to, to even wring your hands about this one, is the issue of fragmentation. And this has more to do with how we think yeah, and okay. how effectively mm -hmm. we can break problems down, process information, and then actually take action on it. Um, so the, just very practically, the way this, this tends to work is that uh, you can have so many things open at the same time, and that doesn't necessarily have to be a problem, but it tends mm -hmm. to be that these tasks are absolutely like unrelated to each other. So you've got one thread yep. over here open yep. where it's, it's email, and these emails are coming in, it's all flat. There's, there's no way of distinguishing which is from one task, which is from another. There's, there's no mm -hmm. fingerprints on them. Um, and then over here, you've got something else going on. Over here, you're checking out prices from hotels in Atlanta on Hotwire. Um, over here, you've, you've got this document that, you're, that really deserves all of your attention, but it's kind of trailing along. And, and then the phone rings, and then there's Instagram going on in the oh. background. Yeah, you know about this. Yeah, and then yeah, and then you're you know you get a text message or something. And yeah, then you, yeah, yeah. So it, the the uh, the underlying assumption we can sometimes work with is that we can actually divide our attention in so many directions like that and push them all forward simultaneously, right? And still <laughs> find satisfaction. Multitask. Yeah. yeah. But the reality is, is that we we only have one attention to give in that attentional resources, the, uh, the ability of the brain to focus on one thing and give attention to that, it's, it's actually limited, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's why very quickly when you put yourself in this fragmented, multitasking environment, those attentional resources are depleted, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's much more effective and oftentimes I think much more meaningful in the long run when you can give yourself to a single task for extended periods of time, like more than 20 minutes at a time, in other words, uninterrupted. And there's, there's a lot of research out there saying that uh, if you really want to get productive in a task, mm -hmm. you've got to stick to it for more than 20 minutes, okay? Mm -hmm. If you're interrupted, it resets, and you've got to start all over again and give your energy to that task, whether it's somebody walking in through the door, whether it's the chirp from your phone, even just having your phone there mm -hmm. depletes attentional resources in a way that deprives you of the abilities you need to actually focus on one task and to be effective that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've heard of um, a new thing that, that's come out in the last year, I don't know, some new research or something, they call it single tasking. Okay. You know, because the push has always been this technology has enabled yeah. us to do all of these tasks simultaneously. And that's just not true. Mm -hmm. And now the push is all of a sudden not multitask, Bring it back in single tasking. Mm -hmm. I, I find that very intriguing. It takes yeah. a lot of discipline to do an approach yeah. like that. In, in the realm of technology, wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to be really deliberate. Yeah, yeah you do. In, in, in trying to, uh, to resist the illusion of multitasking mm -hmm. is, is really difficult because there's something extremely appealing about it. I don't know what it is about human nature, yeah. but we're, yeah. it's really appealing. It gives, the, it gives the sense of a lot of productivity. Oh, yeah, great. But it's not really true. Yeah. I mean, at least most of the time, maybe if you can automate some of the process, but then, you know, yeah. but... <laughs> it, it, might, it might be a stretch to try to blame technology for that, but it has enabled some of those habits in a way we oh, haven't seen yes. before. So, again, just uh, 
two observations specifically about work. You can, uh, you can take this into a lot of different arenas, mm -hmm. how it's affected how well we listen to others and how willing we are to speak before we listen. Um, you could talk about uh, just getting enough sleep. There's all this speculation about blue light and uh, the direct effect yeah. it might have on sleep patterns. Um, really, we, we're just beginning to understand, well, I'll say it this way, we've, we've become attached to some of the positive parts of technology and what's it allowed us to do, but we're only now beginning to understand some of the possible liabilities, some of the deficits. Yeah. And yeah. some of those deficits have, uh, I think it's fair to say, they've, they've surprised and sometimes frightened a lot of people. So there's a lot of concern right now, a lot of hand-wringing about like, wow, we've adopted all this stuff, but who's guiding this process? And uh, what's it all doing to us anyway? And, and nobody's quite certain yet. That's kind of a scary thought. Right at the beginning of something, it's, it's still so new. Mm -hmm. We cannot see the effect it will have 100 years from now. Yeah. We can speculate. But. And, and so the historians will be writing their histories about yeah. this revolution. And just like <laughs> previous revolutions, they'll, they'll say, well, they were... And you could read it maybe and say, wow, they were so blind to some of these effects. <laughs> yes. Uh, this, it's, a, it's a fascinating time to be alive. Hmm. That. And, and one thing that I want to do is 20, year, 20, 30 years from now, come back and watch these videos, <laughs> you know, and some of the episodes we've done um, on, on technology. This is, this is one of several. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, just look back and be like, oh yeah, we got that right. Ooh, we got that wrong, you know. <laughs> totally didn't see that <laughs> yeah. one coming. But it's about having the conversation now. Uh -huh. And so that we are aware of these things, we are thinking about them. Mm -hmm. So more from a historical approach, when it comes to, to new technologies or new innovations, as a general rule, not, not always, but Mennonites have, have usually been slow to adopt them. Or they have, but they've been a little bit reserved. They haven't just mm -hmm. gone, gone all in. Mm -hmm. um, this is obviously no exception. You know, smartphones came a lot later to Mennonite circles than they did the rest of society you know, uh, like computers, all of that. What's, what's the benefit of that? And how is that good? How is that bad? Just t dialogue about that a little. Okay. Um, so you make a statement there, and I'm glad you put a clause in, saying mm -hmm. that uh, Mennonites have been slow to adopt technology. And again, it depends. Huh. There, there are some arenas where Mennonites have been faster to adopt. Hmm. And some arenas where they've actually been innovators, okay? Mm -hmm. um, say, in the, and especially in, in fields of agriculture, where Mennonites mm -hmm. have been uh, right at the very front, the cutting edge, and sometimes innovative about the sorts of methods that were being used to, to enhance productivity, to increase yields, to feed more people, and, and turn places like, uh, oh, some places in Russia, like the breadbasket. Um, huh. yeah. And then there's, there's some history there. There are other arenas, and especially if you're moving toward the conservative part of the spectrum, where there's been more skepticism, okay? Um, just some reservation whether technology can deliver, and especially focusing on communications technology, whether it can deliver all that it promises. Or maybe even fear that technology is going to displace some of these old, tried and true ways of doing communication, like face-to-face -face interactions, say. Um, 
So there, there's, there's, it seems like there's a grid that's used to discern, especially in the old order circles, you can really see this. There's a grid that's used to discern what impact a certain technology is going to have on the individual spiritual life, but maybe even more significantly in our culture, the community's life and how the individual ah. relates into the community. Mm. And there, mm -hmm. it's, it, causes, uh, it causes them to question the effect of, of individuals, you know, kind of rising above the community and, mm -hmm. and how might this disrupt the way the community runs. Mm -hmm. um, but all tooled again, I, I think I've got to kind of jump back to some of those first questions that, you know, how have Mennonites done so? I don't think we've engaged it extremely thoughtfully, or especially as you move toward the middle of the spectrum. Uh, there's been okay. a bit of a okay. gap mm -hmm. between uh, where there's not been a lot of discernment exercise, and technology seems to have fallen into a bit of a gray area unless it's related to content. So we care about what you watch, you know, yeah. pornography's off limits. Uh, don't get too stuck in you know, watching movies and just aimlessly kind of frittering your time away. We know there's, there's, there's some moral boundaries there, but I don't think we've known exactly how to grapple with some of these things that feel gray or kind of amoral. Kind of like, the, we have some pretty clear lines as what, what is healthy to watch, what isn't. Yeah, in terms but, of content. Yeah, right? as far as like the actual content, but what about the actual medium itself. Mm -hmm. What about YouTube.com? Mm -hmm. There's some great stuff on YouTube, very educational things, but there's some terrible things. That's much more difficult to navigate, you know. Um, hmm. well, I think I'm yeah. going a little bit deeper than that yeah. and saying, um, what does it mean for a young person to have access to a library of even good theological content uh -huh. on YouTube? And uh, is, is that different than them, say, going to their bishop? and asking a question hmm. about the doctrine of the Trinity, when they're more likely to just get on their phone, which they have access to an incredible wealth yeah. of information, yeah. and just look it up there. Um, and not so much talking about even the theological slant that they might get there, which is also significant, but what, what does that shift mean? Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, well, and we're, it, only beginning, we're only beginning to understand those things, or it, to speculate about it, it shifts it much more to the individual. Mm -hmm. The individual goes out and Googles it or whatever and comes to their conclusion and it's just them. It's their own personal thing and whatever. Mm -hmm. But what you were saying is what's the effect this is having on community is something you mentioned before. Mm -hmm. So if you go and ask your church leader that question, that's different. That builds community. That builds connection. If you go to Google, what's the connection? Yeah. yeah. And, and there's, there's a lot of various other questions that begin to kind of burble up yeah. when you start to look at technology that way. There's the content, yes. But then there's just the platform. There's mm -hmm. just this, this, this way of looking at things, which turns out not to be neutral, in my mind. And, and we've got exactly. to find ways of assessing mm -hmm. and working with those mm -hmm. platforms as well. Well, and even when we did the interview with Matt Landis, and he talked about how the media, these mediums, say Facebook, yeah. very much it is not neutral. They have an agenda. For one thing, they're a business. They're trying to make mm -hmm. money off of you. There's a reason it's quote free, you know. Yeah. When you go on Facebook and you see a post, you have the option to like it or to, you know, the different, you know, emotions, but there's no dislike button. Mm -hmm. So right there, out of the gate, they have directed which way you're going to go when you go to Facebook. Mm -hmm. It's not neutral. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they very much have made distinctions there where they, I don't know, I just find those things interesting and I wonder how many of those are there and we just miss them mm-hmm. and how much this is actually impacting our thought process. It, it, with Facebook, the, the first thing that, that pops up is this dialogue box asking you to speak. You know, mm. what's on your mind? Yeah. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? Um, and people do that. They, they speak, they emote, <laughs> they, oh, yeah. they, they put things out there. But that's, that's the requirement for you to join the community. You speak, okay? You get your mind mm. out there. You interact. And it's not always, that's not the way we build the, the really significant and lasting communities. We have to do a lot of listening to, and I'm not saying mm-hmm. that Facebook doesn't allow you to listen. But the people who are on Facebook as you know stalkers, the ones who are just going around reading, <laughs> they're the ones who actually they don't they don't get the good feelings out of it, yeah. and uh, they tend yeah. not to benefit from it as well either. Mm. So, I guess just you know it, it, when the focus is for you to speak to express yourself and instead to listen, there's something there's something subtle there, but it is significant. And, and the, the second one to mention is that uh, technology again is built to make our lives easy. One way it does that is to put content that it discerns, and very well many times, put content in front of us that it discerns is going to be relevant to us. Stuff that we want to read, which is great. It's making our life a little easier. We don't have to spend so much time getting out there and exposing mm-hmm. ourselves to different ideas. But there's the problem. You're building this, this kind of reservation. Ah, where bubble you, effect. The, yeah, the, the, the yeah. echo chamber, the bubble, yeah. where... Most of what you're hearing just reflects back on you what you already believe and affirms mm-hmm. your opinions. And it's, it's all really nice, this kind of back padding environment, <laughs> but it might be destructive. Mm. And uh, that's, that's something that any strong community needs to have the ability to put contested opinions out there mm-hmm. and give exposure to ideas that sometimes challenge you, okay? Sometimes mm-hmm. rub you the wrong way or at least that cultivates your growth by, mm-hmm. by stretching you, okay? And if you're just feeling comfortable all the time, you're, you're probably not growing very much. Yeah. Hmm. And that's kind of the idea with, with this project, mm-hmm. is sharing perspectives within the Anabaptist circle okay. to, to spark more dialogue in our circles, mm-hmm. you know? I, and I have a feeling this video is definitely going to spark some dialogue <laughs> in some churches, you know, like, get people thinking about these yeah. things. Um, yeah. And, that's, and that's a place to start. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, um, there's some original work being done uh, even here at Faith Builders, which I think is encouraging. We're talking about some of these effects, trying to push into the gray areas and, and claim those areas as saying, well, this is a place where you can actually exercise Christian Mennonite discernment. And mm-hmm. uh, we're just starting to get into it, but the conversations need to happen. Yeah. So when it comes to technology for us as Mennonites, how can we be proactive and deliberate in how we use this stuff and not just like like you had been referring to some of those gray areas of technology where it's just kind of we're not really sure how can we be much more intentional about how we use it and how can we learn to use it in in a positive way without just swallowing all of it including the negative parts Mm-hmm. Um, what, yeah, what's something practical we can do? Mm-hmm. And again, it's, it's, just, it's in the very nature of, of any revolutionary time mm-hmm. uh, that the old habits of life, the old ways of doing things, they tend to be disrupted. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how do you guide that process? Because if, you, if, you're, if you're a 
child of the age, right, if you're participating in the age in any way mm -hmm. and participating in the use of technology that it offers, it's going to shape you. It's, it's going to alter some of those patterns. It's going to change what you value and it's going to, to change how you relate to people around you. You just got to take that for granted. And there's no amount of hand-wringing that's going to fix that problem, no amount of anxiety or fear that's going to address that. <clears throat> so, and even though worry might give you a little bit of something to do and use up some mental energy and maybe make you feel a little bit better, uh, at the end of the day, you've got to be conscious of it. And like you said, you have to be intentional and, and take some ownership and say, okay, this is where we're at and this is how we can exercise discernment with this technology and guide the formation process. If you don't do that, you're going to just kind of swallow the whole thing and get the negative with some of the positive. But it, it seems to me that overwhelmingly, especially with technology, if you just accept it and accept some of the promises that it tends to give us, uh, it, it's going to ultimately be destructive. Now the question then, again, just returning to it, well, okay, so that's great, but how do you do that? Um, and I'm, I'm just going to make a, a general appeal, first of all, to how we might uh, be able to inform the way we use technology with some more general operating principles, and then maybe we can make some practical applications. And that goes along the lines of this. So if, if you approach Scripture and you want to think about and understand and guide this process of technology, which is a good thing to do, you could be disappointed, right? If you're looking for like passage verse mm -hmm. kind of guidance there. There are some ways in which the scripture is very specific about activities that are endorsed, like seeking justice, the welfare of your neighbor, some that are prohibited, like fornication, uh, idolatry, what, you know, the, the list goes on and we tend mm -hmm. to focus on the negative sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're, if you're going to try to address your view of technology that way, you're, you're going to be disappointed. So you need a different way of looking at it, mm -hmm. including those prohibitions. There's certain things that are off limits, obviously, but you need a way of getting this biblical framework to inform and change the gray areas where there tends to be blank spots. Because you're not going to find a passage that says, um, you know, thou shalt use Facebook, but only between 8 and 8.30 in the morning before thy children rise from sleep or something like that. It's, it's, it's not there, okay? So what that means, you know, I'll put out, you know, the silver dollar word and then I'll explain it. What that means is that you need a robust hermeneutic. You need a way of viewing and then through exegesis, applying the scripture that actually gets in there. Mm -hmm. And that, that'll be through this, this process, you could call it doctrine, or um, you could just call it discernment, where you take the general operating principles of scripture and you form this kind of grid or this perspective of the world that allows you to fill in the gaps where there's not specific mandate or direction. And that is what's going to inform how you think about technology, and it's going to change what technologies you accept and which of those you reject, or just how you use them, what sorts of content you absorb. 
But unless there's that grid being formed, a way of valuing things and discriminating where there, there are gaps in the scriptural record because they didn't, they didn't have access to all this technology when, when the scripture was written, um, you're probably going to fall short on that. So you've got to make this grid. And ultimately, um, that, that grid needs to lead us to Christ. Okay? So all of, our, all of our exegetical work, all of our discernment, all of our doctrine comes under this great purpose that God seems to have in mind when he first created us and now as he's redeeming us, of us taking on the mind of Christ, of us leaving behind this, this old way of living, which is you know, a lot about fulfillment, it's a lot about gratification, this short-term view of life, and it becomes something that's altered, where the landscape shifts and you begin to take on the mind of Christ. And uh, it's, it's a new way of thinking about the world. It's a new way of, of valuing things. And it's a new way of, of loving both your neighbor and, and the creation of, of loving the Creator. And when that mind becomes to be incorporated into us through the witness of Scripture, it alters how we think about the, the, the advantages, the disadvantages of Scripture, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So the goal is to have all of our lives come under the authority of Jesus, and the way that that happens is for us to, to build this Scripture-informed grid, and uh, the gap between where the Scripture is definitive and where our experience frequently is, is something that can be kind of navigated or, or filled in with the authority of the Holy Spirit through the mind of Christ and the Spirit of Him. Mm -hmm. And, well, and well, that to say, too, yeah, is that, that, uh, that could mean that as you're evaluating certain choices about technology, mm -hmm. some of them may need to be just discarded, okay? If you okay. can't control it, you've got to discard it. Mm -hmm. If it can't come under subjection, then it has to be discarded. You know, it's, it's better uh, yeah. to enter into the kingdom of heaven, again, picking on Facebook without Facebook, than to have 10,000 <laughs> followers and a stream of likes and yet be cast into outer darkness, right? Yeah. It's, and that's, that's the possibility we're facing here. If your eye offends you, you've got to pluck it out. Mm -hmm. You've got to get rid of it. So there might be a place in that discernment to discard mm. entire arenas of technology. I'm just raising that as a possibility. Yeah, but where if it's, yeah, if it's not coming under Christ's authority, mm -hmm. if it's becoming kind of a rogue thing, yeah. if you <laughs> might call it that, if, if this technology, if you're not able to bring this technology into submission mm -hmm. to the Word of God, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's a very valid point. Yeah. And, and there's a, but it, it, the, the general observation there is true, just that um, this worldview, this, this way of evaluating things and making choices, is, it's going to shift how you engage the technology that you do accept. It's going to put mm. limits on things, and obviously it's going to change what you say and what the content of that's going to be, but I, I think it's also going to change how you go about setting, your, setting up your own workspace, for instance, and, uh, mm. and how, yeah, yeah. how you manage your own productivity and uh, what, what, you're, what you're willing to tolerate there. So what are practical real-world things that people can do right now okay. coming out, coming away from this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, so we touched on some of the, the theory, the background, taking on the mind of Christ. That's all mm -hmm. pretty abstract. 
Right. <laughs> You're wondering. Um, Focus it in. Let's, let's, yeah. let's be practical about this. Okay. Um, well, the, the first thing I'll say is just that I think you need, to res you need to be able to offer resistance to some of the promises that technology offers you. Ooh. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting here something that goes beyond just fear or anxiety. It actually engages it and says, okay, so this is it. How can I be appropriately skeptical of this technology? Because it, it brings its, its yeah. whole, it brings a lot of promises. It says that you're going to be more productive. It even says things like sometimes, if you get this piece of technology, you'll become like this person. It's good marketing. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Some of that just fall follow. Okay, by buying Photoshop, you don't become an expert in photography. It's a tool, <laughs> even though it might be marketed right. to a creative individuals. Mm -hmm. It's still a tool and you've got to learn to use it. I'm suggesting that you've got to develop the ability, again, to, get, to offer some resistance and some healthy skepticism there. And that resistance might just be as practical as when that impulse comes up, um, lawnmower breaks, where do you go? Are you going to pull out Google and uh, just go after information knowing very well the whole time that when it comes down to it, you're going to call the small engine guy, okay? <laughs> All you're after here is information, even though it's not going to change the action in the end. Yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes it's worth resisting that itch. Just saying, my action isn't going to change here anyway. I've already got a hunch of what this might be. So just lay the technology aside, take the action, and avoid the attentional deficit that comes mm -hmm. from engaging in technology. Because ultimately, it's really not going to change what you're going to do anyway. So, so be able to offer some resistance there as an yeah. action of will. Yeah. Maybe part of that is set some boundaries. Okay. Learn to find places that are like technology-free zones. And the, the impulse here is incredible sometimes, where I'm, I'm having remarkable moments of connection uh, with my children. But it, there, there's, there's lingering anxieties, there's doubts, and the impulse is to like, it's to escape, it's to reach for the back pocket. And that, that, that escaping impulse is just incredible. So instead of having to deliberate about whether you're going to escape the moment or engage the moment, just set some places where you don't have to think about that, okay? Where there's off periods, where the internet might even be shut off for a while, uh, where the phones are off limits. Say at the family table where nobody's picking up their phones, Boundaries like that can be appropriate and can be very helpful. Part of boundary setting could be the deliberate deprivation. Entire cool turkey, we call them fasts. Um, <laughs> oh, say, okay, yeah, digital world, see you for a little while. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go rough it for a week. I have some things I need to do. Um, I need to get my house ready for the winter. I, uh, I just want to focus on my relationship with my children. Um, that's, that's appropriate today. Technology is, is, allows access to a lot of things simultaneously. It gives us those promises. But with that can come that, that inability to focus on what could be very significant and important. Yeah. So once in a while, just for the experience of it, I'd say deprivation uh, is appropriate. And you might be surprised at, at how freeing the experience yeah. Yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of, you like, Making technology serve us instead of us. Serving yeah, technology. because it does have a mind of its own, it doesn't does. it? It does. It can. It 
wow, it's like, which one's the tool here? You know, yeah, technology yeah. is supposed to be the tool we use, but in the end, it's almost as if it controls us sometimes. I, I think that's really clever engineering mm-hmm. on, by the people who built these things because they're trying to sell a product. They want you to use it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Of course, they've built into it ways to make you continually use these things. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. That's hmm. Other practical things. I I would suggest, and kind of building off of what you just said there, there's there is this idea of planned obsolescence, where there's an entire industry that's focused on technology, and the way that industry keeps on moving is by making new technology and by making the old technology <laughs> obsolete. Right. Right. Um, yep. So there there is there there's some uh, some economy that that's coming in there, and to keep the economy rolling, you've got to be making new products. And think about the, the technology that we face with information technology is that obsolescence happens really quickly. And it's possible to just be like accumulating this, this locker full <laughs> of equipment just yeah. because it's new. Uh, so remind yourself when you're thinking about a purchase of technology is, am I getting this just because it's new or because it's actually meeting some kind of need? Mm-hmm. So. D- do you need the latest SLR or is the restriction that's placed on you by the lower capacity of the old SLR actually challenging your, your creativity? Yeah, okay. And uh, yeah. It's, it's sometimes actually helpful for us to put restrictions in place in the creative process especially so that we have, we've got to find a way around them. It, it, it just helps to remind you that it's you who's in the driver's seat and not the technology. The technology is just a way of you getting out there and, and using the technology to guide it, mm-hmm. but it can't be the first thing. So limit your spending. There's another way of, of thinking about technology yeah. and limiting it. I think I think sometimes it's it's people have these concerns and, and mm-hmm. like they don't really know what to do with it. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes is if someone can come along with some good understanding and be like, here's some really practical things to get you started. Mm-hmm. Try going without your phone for a week. Try these different things. Mm-hmm. You know. And, and you'll be able to find a much better path because all of a sudden you start realizing some things like, hey, you know what? I can survive without this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very helpful tools, but we have to understand how to use them properly. Yeah. And, and, and you can, uh, it's surprising how entire supportive communities will spring up around this idea <laughs> of uh, you know, let's, yeah, let's, let's, get our, let's get ourselves down to five apps on our phone because I've got 36 and they're all <laughs> shouting for my attention yeah. and my, my screen is just it's filled with notifications and what do I do about this? Mm-hmm. And if you, if you can kind of cluster up with some other people and say, okay, we're going to work at this together and we're, it's, it's almost like Alcoholics Anonymous. It really does start to blend <laughs> into that territory. Yeah. Um, yeah you can so. say, okay, we're going to get together and we're going to do this together, guys. We're going to limit ourselves to five apps mm-hmm. and we're going to meet for coffee at the end of each week and talk about how it's going. And, and there can be some really beautiful things that come out of experiences like that. That's just crazy that we're having conversations like that already. <laughs> yeah. You know, 10 years ago, I've been just like, you know, 10 years ago, the app store didn't exist, uh-huh. you know? Like, Which is overwhelming. Unbelievable. The iPhone didn't exist. Yeah, like so. 2007 was the first time the iPhone ever came out, and that was 10 years ago. And like 10 years ago, I mean, it seems like a long time, but that's really not, uh-huh. you know. And it's crazy that we already have to think, th- uh, yeah, I'm just I'm trying to figure <laughs> out the ramifications of these huge changes in, in society and in our own culture. Mm-hmm. 
Whew, big task. Yeah. Big task. Just stay in the conversation. There's, mm-hmm. there's, a, lot to, there's a lot happening here right now. Um, yeah, the one thing yeah, that's, that's sure about, about technology is that we don't understand everything about how it's influencing and affecting us. Yeah, and it's always changing too, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's for, you take yeah. that for granted. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a lot of food for thought. Some good practical things and just a lot of, it's a big issue. We're not going to solve it in one episode. No. Thank you for being on being, being on this and doing this. And um, I didn't reference this before, but you um, spoke at a conference on on some of this with technology. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's on video. We'll make sure and link that up. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. For more information, you can go to our website at anabaptistperspectives.org, where we have a blog. And this material is also available in video form on YouTube and Facebook, both under the name Anabaptist Perspectives. This podcast is also available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Anchor. We would love to hear your feedback, so if you have any thoughts on something that was shared on this show, please let us know. Again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Anabaptist Perspectives. Your listening and sharing this with friends helps more people find our episodes. A special thanks to all of you who support Anabaptist Perspectives financially. We are here because of you. If you haven't had the chance to give yet this year, would you consider making a year-end donation? You can donate on our website or by check. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.